Social Strategy Podcast, episode 58. Hey guys, this is Vernon Ross, host of the Social Strategy Podcast. And before we get started, I wanted to let you guys know there were some audio issues with this podcast, but it is so good that I do not want to not publish it. However, this audio is going to sound a little bit louder than you're used to hearing because it's in mono for whatever reason. It did not end up in stereo. So my audio editor couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix it. So we're just going to go with it. I just wanted to let you guys know that before you listen to the interview. However, it is not so bad and it will not detract away from the information that's in this interview. But the intro got messed up and had to be taken out along with some other issues. So if a couple of things at the beginning of the interview sound a little bit out of order, that's what that's about. All right, now on to the show. Welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast where it's all about making the most of your business with smart tips on what's working now in social media, online business, and good old-fashioned networking. And now your host, who's also known as Ross PR on Twitter, Vernon Ross. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in online business, social media, good old-fashioned networking. And I'm your host, Vernon Ross. And today, we have a exciting show. I got a chance to talk about finally startups and the whole startup community and more about digital nomads and private equity investment and all kinds of stuff about obtaining companies instead of starting. And this was a really exciting interview for me. And I often get a chance to talk about the the things that we did in the level of detail that we were able to provide in this interview. So I'm looking really forward into getting to, into this interview. But before we start, I wanted to let you guys know I'm going to be at Podcast Movement this weekend. So when this goes live, this is actually going to go live right before I go to Podcast Movement. But definitely check out a webinar that I did, and it's going to be on the same subject that I'm talking on at Podcast Movement which is sponsorship for your podcast, your blog, your event, your business, whatever it is that you're involved in, I'm talking about sponsorship. Make sure you take advantage of the sponsorship toolkit that's in the Social Strategy Academy so you can download some of the phone scripts, templates, and things that I lay out there for you so you can actually get started on your path to obtaining sponsorship for whatever it is that you do. I also did a webinar this past week with Steve Stewart from the Audacity Workshop. It is amazing. You can find that link in the show notes. Full webinar, over an hour, just packed with information about sponsorship and some stories about how I've obtained sponsorship for different projects that I've worked on and how you can use that to leverage sponsorship in your podcast, on your blog, in your events. It was a really exciting webinar, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So I'm going to go ahead and get right into the interview, and I will see you guys on the back end. Hey everyone, this is Vernon Ross, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in online business, social media, and good old-fashioned networking. And guys, you know, I've not had too many startup people, digital nomads on. You guys know I had Natalie Sisson on. She was awesome. And I've got a new digital nomad. I actually found Shola through uh, Jessica's company. I I know I've talked to you guys about this before. She actually finds people for podcasts. And I had kind of um, not intentionally blown her off, but Jessica Rhodes, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, I've, I've talked about her in previous episodes. I didn't intentionally do it, but when we ran into each other at New Media Expo, I'm like, hey, you need to send me a couple people. I know I didn't answer your email. And Shola came out of that. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, you know, when I was looking into your background, I found a couple things I had some questions about. But first off, I mean, you've got a pretty impressive background. You went to the Royal Institute of Technology, KTH, over in Stockholm. Not a lot of people do. Well, a lot of people do that, but usually they're the founders of some pretty big companies. Well, first of all, uh, Vernon, remind me to send you um, something in PayPal for such a gracious um, introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, just to kind of uh, give you a heads up on kind of why I do what I do and who I am. So I'm a proud native Washingtonian. My mother is from uh, Washington, D.C., Northwest, and my dad is uh, from Nigeria. He immigrated to the States to study engineering at George Washington University. That's kind of why I have my colorful name. So I've always kind of, you know, had an international background. And um, after working for the uh, first startup that kind of took off, 
I um, this was during the web one point one point zero boom, kind of dating myself here. In any case, <laughs> um, I just wanted to do something really different, and I've been working in New York, and you know, I'd worked in D.C., and I just decided that I wanted to study abroad in uh, Europe. I met some people on uh, on the holiday who had talked a lot about really great technical universities, and so I was looking at you know either maybe going to um, back to the U.K or um, studying in, in Sweden. And I just always have had a passion about technology and business. So it was a, a natural progression. And I can say in retrospect, um, because Sweden is by and large one of the world's best producers of technology, the folks at Spotify there, um, the right. founder of Skype, but it's a really small place. I just got access to the founder of, uh, uh, funnily enough, of SoundCloud is a KTH uh, grad. Just in terms of social interaction, I got access to a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have staying in the States. So in retrospect, it was just an incredibly good decision for me. It made some of the best social and economic and even academic moves in my life. Even to this day, I probably wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for that experience. So, yeah, it was good. Good right. stuff. You, you also went to Oxford, didn't you? Yeah, studied at Oxford as well. Got selected to, in my junior year, I was studying at Swarthmore College and got selected to do a, um, an exchange program at Oxford. And that, again, kind of put the bug in my ear that going to uh, Europe. It's just a really great, you know, there there's this idea that we are the sum total of our social relationships. And so whenever you kind of place yourself in an environment that's different than where you grew up, you're getting access to, to a higher, to an entirely different social circle. So just places like, you know, Oxford and places like KTH, I develop relationships with people too that to this day that, you know, I keep in contact with that I never would have if I hadn't. So it was, it was a really good um, experience for me. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Jim Rohn is famous for making that quote. And actually it was the guy that he, that was his mentor who made the quote, and then he made it really famous with that you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time around. So a, a nice little point of reference there. But, I mean, Swarthmore is nothing to actually shake a stick at either. That's one of the top-rated, I think, private liberal arts colleges in the nation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I humbly, again, I, I was I'm really, um, really privileged to um, attend that school. And I just am very impressed by your asking these questions, to be honest with you, Vernon, because I think that there's a tendency in the sort of startup or business community to discount education. Mm -hmm. And I happen to think that what Einstein said was absolutely true, that education is what you get when you forget everything that you learned in school. And often <laughs> what we have through our different social networks isn't so much what we learned in the classroom, but it's our relationships. And so I think that when people are thinking about how to really do well in business, nine times out of ten, they don't actively... Um, work the connections that they had at high school or in college. And you'll be really surprised what kind of business you could do by really working your social network. It doesn't always have to be the people that you meet at the business conferences or the people that you meet online. It could be that person that sat next to you uh, during freshman English or, you know, the person that you were on the swim team with that could end up being a huge professional break for you. So I, I really applaud you for um, mentioning that because sometimes I want to mention it in other interviews mm -hmm. and it, it kind of gets glanced over. But I really think that a big part of business is leveraging your social relationships across many um, social networks that might not totally be um, obvious to you. But when you really dig deep can be a huge asset for you. Right. Well, you know, the reason I mentioned that is a lot of people that there's this whole freedom movement to live wherever you want, do whatever you want, have this entrepreneur freedom lifestyle. And that's great. But when you start talking about people that are digital nomads, you also need to understand the background from how do they get from this point to this point? They didn't just quit their job and move abroad and on a whim decided to start a company. You, sure, definitely. You know, you've had some some great foundational training, and you have to get that no matter whether it's traditional college, whether it's taking training programs, whether it's doing something. You have to create a base for establishing those relationships. And you're absolutely right. The moron that you sit next to in English class <laughs> your sophomore year could be the president of a bank, for all you know, that could help you with your startup funding. 
or they could be an angel investor now just because those relationships weren't, you know, great relationships in high school doesn't mean that they won't be great relationships in your professional life. So now I, I applaud you for using your network because a lot of people don't. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and if I might add to that, um, you know, I also spent a summer telemarketing, right? Because, uh, you know, I kind of have a big family and we had to contribute to um, uh, funding our educational experiences, uh, um, exp- you know, school. And I think understanding that you can learn as much from the person who sat beside you at the um, telemarketing internship during the summer as you can from the person who you sat next to in college, because I, you know, as much as I am totally an advocate of education, I'll be the first to tell you that you do not have to go to fancy schools to be great at entrepreneurship. Uh, It certainly helps, um, but you don't, it is not a prerequisite. And so I would just say to anyone listening um, on your, um, you know, in your audience today, be mindful of your different social networks because Richard Koch, who is the author of the 80-20 principle, a very, very successful private equity investor, also worked at top consulting firms. He has this theory that there is something called a super connector. And to to make a long story short, when you uh, interact in different social circles, it's not so much the people that are close to you that are going to yield the breakthroughs for you, but rather it's those people from those social networks that don't seem particularly close for you. And so to summarize what I'm saying, by all means, understand that you um, you can get a lot out of college. You can get a lot out of those social networks. But sometimes it could be the person that you, you know, worked um, um, beside in a, a summer internship or in a summer job that, you know, five or 10 years ago you um, work with. And today they'll be helpful for you. So I hope that adds some insight for you. No, I think it does. And, you know, the um, the term super connector is all throughout the vernacular of people on LinkedIn. Everybody uses it without any thought. Oh, well, this person's a super connector or that person's a super connector. So it tells you how influential the book, the eighty twenty principle is. So Absolutely. definitely make sure... If you're listening uh, and you want to get the audio book, get the audio book, read it. It is one of those prerequisite. You need to read this business book. So make sure you add that one to your library. So let, let's take a little bit into what you were talking about, because briefly you, you touched on. Oh, yeah, I sold this company <laughs> back in Web uh, 1.0. And I think it's very interesting because the niche that you were in is a strange one. And it's not one that I had really thought about. But you were able to start a company, build it successfully in what most people would understand as domain flipping, but did it for universities in the educational space, right? Yeah, so ch- kind of to give you um, some background on that. So what really um, made me realize that I had a fork in a row moment when it comes to being an entrepreneur is that toward uh, the end of uh, graduate school, about three months before I was coming back at the States, there was an article by the Guardian newspaper, which is the uh, largest newspaper in the UK. Any listeners that you have in England could really relate to this. And essentially the name of the newspaper was, uh, or rather the name of the article was the 1,000 books that you have to read before you die. And I literally remember it as if it were yesterday. I remember looking at that list and saying, wow, if I have a 40 or 50 your 60-hour-a-week job, I will literally never get to um, read all these books. So the natural extension for me was entrepreneurship, right? Because I'd grown up seeing uh, my parents be entrepreneurs, and I just knew that I would not have the level of freedom uh, in a traditional job, no no matter how well-paid it was in the corporate space, um, to do the the things outside of work that I I love, utterly love, like reading. So basically, like every um, reasonably intelligent person, I Google how to make money online. (laughs) And that's that's how I kind of, you know, got into um, the online business space. So it really wasn't that scientific, to be honest with you. And I happened upon traditional performance marketing. And at the time in 2007, uh, 2008, it was really taking off. And fortunately for me, because um, of, you know, my prior uh, background, I saw the opportunity in um, lead generation and performance marketing for the education space. To put it in perspective for you, the largest uh, advertiser at the time in that space was spending about $250 million a year on online advertising. So it's almost like when you are in a... Um, 
you know, if you're in the ocean, like you don't need to be um, really good at um, bottling water to, um, you know, take home a, a lot of fresh water, right? You just dip your cup and there you go. And so I, I just literally fell into a great niche, one where almost everybody was doing well, but I was able to recognize something that a lot of people wasn't, which was that owning domains was essentially owning traffic because at the time, uh, domain investing was really taking off. And what, what happened was that you could buy domains that already had traffic. So as an example, um, let's say you bought a domain like, uh, you know, um, socialmediaonline.com. Now, at the time, it wasn't available, but the whole point is that at any given point, people around the world might be actually talking, uh, might be actually writing in to their address bar, social media online, and so you would get trickles of traffic. And so for me, I invested in education domains, and I was able to monetize those domains through selling leads to some of the largest online universities out there, like Walden, mm -hmm. University of Phoenix, ETC. So to, um, you know, pretty much, you know, think about it in retrospect, it's something that I fell into. I wasn't smart enough to um, see the trajectory, <laughs> but, um, you know, luckily I, able, I was able to capitalize it, right. capitalize on it. And, um, you know, I probably wouldn't be here today talking to you had I not taken advantage of those opportunities. So let me ask you this, is performance marketing, because I know people are going to be curious about it now, and I'm sure people are like, Google, what the heck is performance marketing? Explain a little bit about what it is. I know it's not what you do now, but I think it possibly holds some value. And is it still a viable market to get into? Sure. So basically, performance marketing is known by a lot of people as uh, affiliate marketing. Right. And the whole idea is that unlike um, traditional marketing or advertising where you're just uh, getting paid for exposure with affiliate marketing or um, performance marketing at just you know, no more in uh, corporate circles, you're literally getting paid for delivering results. So in my case, I only got paid if I delivered leads, right? So if I didn't deliver leads or in some cases sales, um, I wouldn't get paid. And so it told, you know, affiliate marketing actually came into play. Um, to, the, the irony is that the, um, the, you know, the adult, um, um, entertainment market really introduced the concept of affiliate marketing. Um, you know, but by no means am I condoning that, but <laughs> what, what you, what you, anybody who is a free thinker or a, a non-conventional thinker should know that when it comes to almost all the strategies that are cutting edge online, the adult industry has been there obviously yep. because they had to get around um, regulations. Very few people want to work with them. So years and years, like back in 95, the um, adult industry is the industry that pioneered performance marketing where basically they were paying people for delivering eyeballs or delivering leads. Obviously, by the time we got to 2007, 2008, people from uh, Amazon to eBay to the largest online universities in the world were using affiliate marketing or performance marketing to grow their businesses. But it really was the wild, wild west around 2007, 2008. I mean, mm -hmm. you could still bid on my, my interest is, starting out was in paid media, right? So you could still bid, um, bid on brand names. Um, you could send people directly to landing pages, things that you absolutely, like they would literally send the cops for you these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they will. Too. Uh, and, and it was like, you know, in retrospect, it was probably the best education through doing that I ever had because, like, you either sink or you swim. You had to invest your own money into traffic or into promotions. And if you didn't, you know, do it right, you didn't get paid. If you did, you, you got paid wonderfully. So it was, yeah, it totally was the Wild Wild West back in the day. That's interesting. How did you pick that niche? Well, again, it was just literally about... The fact that, I mean, yeah, I wish I could say that I did some super um, intelligent master thesis on lead generation <laughs> in, in uh, the online space. But really, it was about where the, um, you know, where the revenues were, where the opportunity was. And just mm -hmm. it was just easy. You know, it's like everybody they were paying in some cases one hundred dollars a lead. Right. Right. So, it, you know, it was just so insanely easy back then. I, I mean, remember some of that. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, And I just yeah, I was just and the thing that I can um, tell your listeners that in retrospect really made a, um, a, a, big, a big impact on the course of the business is that I decided to focus so there were so many people who were in four or five different niches. And I just saw that it was just so easy to get more with less by just focusing in on this particular niche. Okay. So it was like typically like, you know, just 
a few select group of universities and a few advertisers and just getting really good at that micro specialization is what um, took me off. And you might be having someone now who might be uh, doing Twitter and they might be doing Pinterest marketing and they might be doing LinkedIn marketing and they might be doing Google plus marketing and Facebook marketing. And they're just trying to do it all. And I would submit to you that if you just get really good at one particular um, channel, one particular method of generating visibility, uh, of generating leads, of generating traffic for your business, you will get so much further faster because nobody can get uh, um, good at something without focus. To use an analogy, uh, a, a ray of sunlight can barely warm a room, but a focused ray of sunlight can um, start a fire, right? A 300-watt uh, light, uh, light bulb can barely light a factory floor, but if it's focused, it can cut through steel. It's called a, la- uh, a laser. So, yeah, getting getting crystal clear on what you want and focusing, whether it's through performance marketing or through social media, it just pays so handsomely that I would be remiss if I didn't share that. Wow, that is awesome advice. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, Chris Ducker talks about niching down until it hurts. <laughs> he has more. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's 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 interesting that you say that, and it has absolutely well a, a lot to do with what you're doing now. But I I want people to understand the value in you can be a social media expert in multiple disciplines, and I talk about it all the time when I'm giving a talk or something like that. But you do have to take time to become an expert at that one. You, you know, even Gary Vaynerchuk did it when he wrote Crush It. He was all on Twitter in between mm-hmm. writing those. He went to Facebook. Now he's on Instagram and Snapchat and he's not focused on those other platforms because he already has audiences built there. So that's that's really interesting that you say that. Yeah. And I mean, even just in terms of like I very um, almost um, in, in, in the matter of an afterthought, just decided that I, I enjoy being on LinkedIn. Um, I had set up Twitter accounts and just kind of organically um, the the account grew, but I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Maybe, you know, until recently, like, gosh, you know, once or twice every six months. But something about LinkedIn just really, really, really uh, resonated with me. And as a result, um, you know, I have now put myself in a position that after all these years, like I'm probably in the top 1% of um, you know, LinkedIn members, but it came at the cost of not spending time on um, Google. Um, let me not call it cost. The investment was that I had to direct time away from um, Pinterest or Google Plus or even, you know, over activity on, on Twitter. Now that I am um, really, you know, a, a presence there, one can move to other channels. But if I might add um, some um, 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 tips to people who might be listening, People don't understand that you can be focused on one particular social media or traffic generation strategy, and through delegation, you can actually move forward with the other ones as well. So if you're just only a solopreneur, then yeah, you got to get good at doing one particular channel really well before you move on. But if you have some resources, you can just be the, the face of one particular channel, and then you can outsource the management of your other channels. So eventually, you know, I'll probably get a social media manager that manages Pinterest or manages um, Instagram. But for right now, when I connect with people like you or other people around the Internet, I just basically tell them, hey, connect with me on LinkedIn because that's kind of where I spend a lot of time. So I hope that's insightful to people. No, I think it is. So moving forward, fast forwarding to to the current situation, you currently live abroad, sort of. You're in um, Baja, California, right? Or is it Puerto Rico? Yep, I'm in Baja, California, so I'm only luckily about 40 miles from the U.S. border. Um, you know, friends go to San Diego to shop at BJ's or something. So it's like a great, a really fantastic destination because you are abroad and you have the advantages of just wonderful um, quality of life. But if you need to go back home or if you need to just get something that you can only get in the States, it's very easily accessible. You can drive across the border. It's the San Ysidro border is like the, um, the largest border in the world. So yeah, I love to tell folks about it when I'm on different shows, because I think a lot of people don't really take advantage of being location independent. And I've been able to, and it's just been such a, um, yeah, it's been such a mind blowing experience. <laughs> Interesting. So tell me a little bit about ConvertPort, because I'm not really sure. You guys are in beta right now, right? And that's your newest company. Yep. 
So the the big problem that Convertport solves is this. So unfortunately, most businesses, as they expand and they seek to grow, the challenge for them is that their best salesperson tends to be the um, charismatic company founder. And so what I wanted to do is sort of apply a lot that I had learned through previous businesses to helping businesses uh, develop what I call CRISP, which is controllable, repeatable, scalable, predictable sales. And CRISP really is about um, leveraging our uh, software as a service convert port, which is a marketing automation, a sales automation platform with our media buying uh, technology, as well as what we call 8020 um, data analysis. And the, the whole idea is that the old way of getting good at digital sales is, okay, I'm going to go and get a CRM and I'm just going to try to email people to death. Well, the new way is um, combining media buying with um, what we call like web 2.0 marketing automation, which is more about segmentation to scaling your business. So again, most people who are thinking about growing their business, you know, the challenge for them is that the, the business owner tends to be the best salesperson. Well, our vision is that we want everybody who is really struggling to grow their business to get super serious about building what we call controllable, repeatable, scalable, predictable sales processes. And it's just about using automation the right way and using media buying so you're not spending hours of your time trying to drum up traffic. You can actually go and buy the traffic that you need. And then when you combine that with smart um, data analysis where you're just basically honing in those people on your email list who spend the most money and interact with your content the most, then you get results further faster. So that's what I feel really excited about, helping build sales funnels or sales processes for businesses that, that want to scale and hopefully one day become sellable like I've been able to do. Right. That was like a lot of information. So if you're if you're like me, I know what media buying is. I know what paid media is. But a lot of you guys may not understand that from this perspective. And one of the things, one of the interesting things about Shola, when I when I get a interview request and when I'm starting to think about whether or not I want to interview somebody, I look like really deeply into their background what they've done and what they're interested in. And then I listen to, I try to listen to at least three interviews that they've been on. But one of the interesting things I I think about you, Shola, is that you're not this super social media, oh, social media, this, you know, Twitter, Facebook, blah, 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 blah. You're actually doing the thing and people don't seem to get the whole doing the thing from a lot of online entrepreneurs and a lot of people that call themselves digital nomads. But when you start talking about media buying and actually buying the traffic, and you mentioned that when we were just talking about buying the traffic for your business with convert port that you need to actually, you know, convert and close sales and get new customer acquisitions, go a little bit into, you know, what is media buying for like the very novice? If someone's like, I don't even know what that means. What, what does that mean? So media buying is basically uh, um, uh, another way of describing um, paid media or online advertising, right? So if I may just um, add some insight for people. So here's a challenge that every business owner faces, okay? Um, Whether you want to look at the New York Times stats or the digitalmarketer.com stats, every day, your potential customers are being exposed to anywhere from five to 25,000 sales messages, right? And that's not even including all the updates they're getting on social media, right? So the challenge for anybody out there is this. Every sales process begins with visibility. If someone is invisible, if, if you're not visible, I can guarantee that somebody is not going to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, my God, I forgot to Google so-and-so's per, uh, um um, sales page and go buy from them, right? Like, right. You, you know, at least, I mean, if that happens to you, by all means, call me because I, I need to know your secret. In any case, most, for most businesses, that doesn't happen. It doesn't even happen for Google. A, a dirty secret of Google is that they actually have an outbound sales channel, right? Mm-hmm. So think about it. Um, um, Facebook now is um, launching an outbound sales channel. So if some of the biggest brands online still face a visibility challenge, so too will you and do you. So in this environment where you have like 
people yelling sales messages every day. Imagine yourself going into a room and you feel like you have something important to say, but you walk into a room where there are 25,000 people yelling the same thing, buy my product. It takes a lot of time just to get a notice. And so the thing about media buying or paid advertising is that social media, content marketing, it's about earning your attention. It's about earning your visibility. The mm-hmm. whole notion is that you create some valuable content and in exchange for that, people share the content and then you get traffic back to your site. Well, that's about building. Okay. There's also another strategy, which is about buying. So if you wanted a house, right, your options could be that you can go and buy the house that you want, or you could watch some videos on um, YouTube and learn how to make um, paint and learn how to make you know, um, cement and learn how to do architecture. And after you've learned for a while, eventually you know how to build a house from scratch. And probably after 10 years, you might be able to, with your hand, starting from scratch, build up that house. In our case, we don't call it a house, we call it an audience, all right? And so the whole idea about paying media is that, yes, it's absolutely great to have some form of earned media using content marketing. But what about actually going out and buying attention? going out and buying an audience. I'm not talking about buying Twitter followers. I'm talking about going out and paying for the right to be visible. You see, most of us out here, we have great content, but there's a chicken and egg scenario. Like you don't get noticed unless you have like a whole bunch of content that's been the search engine for ages. And you don't have a whole bunch of, you know, a content unless you get noticed. And so how do we overcome the, the, the chicken and egg scenario? And the answer is that every business small and, 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 and big should be buying attention. You should be buying access to an audience. Right. And, and, and the best strategy for social media is using paid media to leverage. So there's a concept called, Oh, wait, paid- wait. Oh no. What? I can't, I can't pay for Facebook. Why should I pay for Facebook? It was free for so long. <laughs> exactly. Well now, until you get um, a notice in the quote unquote mail that from now on, think about all of those um, fan pages you build up. And they're now telling you that you're basically getting like 2% of the people on your fan page you're going to see your update right so i mean that's lower than the number of people who open up even the worst email uh-huh. you know um so my whole challenge for everybody is think about how you can combine a paid media strategy with a um, content marketing strategy it looks like this you can still create great content but why not go out and pay to distribute that content right and so what happens is that you can still um, earn the trust of people through great content, but you're just paying for that little kick. You're just paying for that first point of awareness. And for people who have great content, once people become aware of you, they're going to be reading more of your content and they're going to be sharing it. But for everybody out there, the biggest challenge, the biggest hump to get over is just that first point of visibility. And so the thing is that you can go out and you can spend the next two years trying to build up this massive blog or you can spend a couple of hundred dollars. You don't have to. You don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars. Just spend a couple of hundred uh, dollars getting that traction, that initial traction. Because the thing is, this there are only eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours in a year, right? So you know, time you can only lose. Money you can gain or lose, but time you can only lose. And the irony is that people would spend hundreds of hours building up a really small social media audience, right? of a couple of hundred people that, but they won't spend, you know, you know, they won't spend a couple of hundred bucks. They'll spend an entire year. They only have a hundred followers, but they won't spend a hundred dollars. That could get them twice the followers in about two weeks. So that's how I feel about it. I'm by no me saying that content marketing is dead or isn't good, but I think that in today's environment, you need to be prepared like an offline business to pay for visibility. If you're not prepared to pay for visibility and even companies like Google or Facebook or Amazon are, I think you need to ask yourself, are you really um, committed to your business? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I could, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've had, I've had this discussion with people. I actually had it on, on a panel <laughs> at a conference where we were talking about the whole thing with paid media. It's like, look, you have to pay to play. Yeah. It's just that simple. It's their platform. And if you want to play in it, then there's there's a cost to doing that. Sure. And I think that the challenge is that there are a lot of like myths and limiting beliefs. Right. So let's just think about some of them. The first myth is that, oh, if I have to pay for visibility, then my product isn't good. Well, no, that's not how it works. You have to pay for visibility because when the web started, 
there were 100,000 web pages. Now there are over a billion pages online. So you can't use a model that was designed, you know, way back in the dinosaur ages of online business and online marketing, and you still want to use that same strategy. If the biggest and most trusted brands in the world pay for advertising, then you certainly have to too. So that's the first limiting belief. And if you're listening to this and feel that, oh, if I ha- if I um, pay for advertising or exposure visibility or attention then it's a admission of guilt you know throw that away like that's not you know that's not going to serve you the second myth is that um advertising is about hard selling and what we're, what we're talking about is not traditional advertising where you're saying buy my stuff what we're talking about is simply paying for the first point of visibility so you might use your paid ads not to you know directly sell your product but just to introduce people to your content it's called again native advertising you get people to your blog and people after they've read a few of your articles then they can get into your sales funnel so i, I would say that it's about number one uh, understanding that uh, a content marketing or social media marketing strategy that worked when there are a few um, websites on the internet don't work now, number one. Number two is about understanding that, if anything, paying for advertising, paying for visibility shows how smart of a business uh, man or woman you are versus admitting guilt. And I would say the um, third factor, um, Vernon, is about understanding that you're not spending money, you're investing. You see, when you put more in than you get out, you should be doing that all day long. And most people look upon investing in their um, audience as a, a, um, um, a, a sunk cost, like they're never going to get that money back. Mm-hmm. But if I told you, if you give me um, $1 in visibility, I'll give you $2 in sales, how often would you do that? Chances are all day long, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and how much money would you put towards that? Exactly. Why would you stop? Like you would do more and more if you're always getting more than you give back. You know, I mean, th- it just makes so much sense. And so I think oftentimes people just have to do away with the um, limited understanding of like a- an investment in your audience An investment, meaning you're going to get back eventually more than you put in. And so you're not so much looking at, at, at it as a sunk cost. You're looking at it as an investment. Right. So. So when you, when you talk about paid media and actually buying advertising, of course, you know, you, you're going to hear, oh, well, buy Facebook ads. Facebook is where, you know, all the traffic is. What do you think one of the best platforms, if you had to pick one, that people can get the, the greatest return if you actually have a product to sell or depending on what you're trying to promote for their money? I think that's a fabulous question. I'm glad you asked that. And I want to um, introduce a concept that a mentor of mine that um, introduced to me that is probably going to be a game changer for a lot of people listening. So let me explain it this way. There is a person behind every click, right? So let me say it again. There is a person behind every click. Now, in case somebody didn't get the last two times, I'll say it one more time. There's a person <laughs> behind every click. So how can that really help us to answer that question. Well, here is the solution for you. First of all, you have to understand that there is no magical social network or social um, traffic source that is going to turn all your um, online business dreams into reality. What you have to do is first understand that behind every um, visitor or behind every click is a particular demographic. And when you understand that, then what you start asking yourself is, where are my ideal prospects hanging out and you use the answer to that question to lead your buying of media right so let me give you a great example if i know that my ideal customer is somebody that is um in the b2b space right is a let's say a man who is um into b2b sales and lives um in on the east coast right chances are that i am not going to find the best sales leads on Pinterest where you have um, stay-at-home moms um, posting pictures about um, cookies, right? Now, that isn't all they post on Pinterest, but that's just an example. Similarly, if I know that my ideal prospect is somebody who is looking to play video games, I'm not going to buy ads on LinkedIn. And so the challenge is that most people have not been trained to look upon traffic as people, right? 
And when you're looking at how to reach people, the first thing you have to do is answer the question, well, where are these people? And then when you answer the question where these people are, that'll tell you what channel is best to buy. And so what happens is that people end up picking the channel before they understand the audience. No, first you have to understand the audience, and then you have to use your understanding of that audience to pick the channel, right? So another really great example is that there is a certain demographics that um, really gravitate to certain forms of communication, right? So traditionally, um, the older demographic tends to like, let's say, email, and they tend to like even offline communication, like newsletters, right? Physical newsletters, right? So if I know that I really want to reach someone who's maybe over 60, then I might buy um, email ads, right? But if I know that the typical young person doesn't even check their email and they don't certainly read direct uh, mail, why would I buy um, media from those channels? So to um, wrap things up, Vernon, I think if your listeners and everybody who might be on the call now start to think about the fact that every person who clicks on to their website is an actual real person, and they understand that in order for them to answer the question, what is the best media channel for me? Or what is the best traffic generation tra- strategy for me? You have to understand who your ideal prospect is. And once you uh, understand who your ideal prospect is, then you can go to the various uh, channels like Facebook, like Twitter, like LinkedIn, and you can get information about their demographics. And if you know that one particular um, channel or one particular traffic source has that demographic that you know to buy from them. But if I know that none of the people who buy um, Candy Crush hangs out on LinkedIn, why ever would I go to buy traffic from there? (laughs) And the challenge is that people end up wasting money because they go and buy um, traffic or visibility or whatever you want to call it from the completely wrong channels because they don't know anything about their um, demographic. And they've just been told, oh, if you really want to make money, you should buy Facebook ads. Well, it could be the case that your ideal prospects don't even spend time on Facebook. So every dollar that you spend on there, chances are it's not going to be profitable. Exactly, exactly. Wow, that... That was an amazing explanation of that. You've been just a wealth of knowledge today about uh, what we didn't even think we were going to get into, ads and paid media and earned media and the difference between it. And something that people don't get a chance to hear enough of on the show, we don't really dig into the whole thing of this is how you acquire customers. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about social media and networking and stuff like that, but to actually get business, real business, whether you're a coach, and I have a lot of coaches in my audience whether you're a podcaster, it doesn't really matter, especially for podcasters. Now, this this is one, and I'm going to just piggyback off of something that you said. You want listeners on your podcast, and I do pay for media as far as visits to my podcast. I'll run a Facebook ad to just get people to listen, not to try to convert them to sell them anything. Now, I do have affiliate agreements with a couple of the advertisers you know, that sponsor the show, but that if that happens, that's great. But I need to get people to listen to the show. And I can't depend on now that I've fallen out of New and Noteworthy a year ago to get iTunes to promote me because I don't have a show that's getting millions of downloads a, a month. I'm, I'm getting quite a few, but not millions. So I'm not going to be promoted by iTunes. So what do I do to get new listeners into the show? Exploit the, the channels that I can and pay to get people to actually hit the show so that they can listen to it. And I'll send them directly to my show. I'll send them to other places other than iTunes that the show is on. So I'll send them to Spreaker. I'll send them uh, now to Podbean. They, they've just come on, and that'll be in the, the next episode that's airing. They've come on as sort of a sponsor. They just want me to help promote Podbean to podcasters because not a lot of people are using them. And – Stuff like that. You have to promote yourself. You have to get people to your website, to your blog, bloggers, to your coaching programs. Not a landing page that's just looking for an email, but something that actually has content so you can get some of that earned media. And then maybe they'll, oh, look, there's a subscribe to the email list. Oh, they ha- they do have, you've got your, you know, your little lead bait giveaway book that you're doing or whatever it is that you're promoting. They may take interest in that, but you do have to pay for some of that traffic. And I, I think it's valuable that you said that because not a lot of people want to admit to the fact that the game has changed and it's not just, oh, people are going to come to my site because it's out there. 
Yeah, and again, I think that it's about dispelling the myths that people had. So it's like, here's the thing, Vernon. When we all decided to become entrepreneurs or self-employed or business owners, whatever labor you prefer, they didn't send you a FedEx package that says entrepreneurship for dummies. This is everything you need to know (laughs) to grow your business to wherever you want it to be, right? Now, I'm I'm being a, a little bit flippant, but essentially that's the case. They're unlike other professions, right? like being a, a doctor or being a teacher or being a lawyer, there's a set curriculum where you learn all of the fundamentals, right? So the challenge for us as entrepreneurs is that the schools didn't teach how to sell, right? Like you don't, de- there's a distinction between selling and marketing. And most of us did not have any formal training about digital sales, right? So whatever you're selling online, there's typically a seven-step process, right? It begins with visibility. We all agree that if somebody isn't aware of your product, they're not going to be buy it for you. And then it may move on to a lead. And I won't go into the other you know, steps, but eventually it goes to a sale. Uh, if you like, I, can, I have a, a PDF that I give away for people completely free that just goes through what we call our CRISP um, controllable, repeatable, scalable, predictable sales process. And whenever we're thinking about, okay, how to launch a new product, how to sell more for ourselves or for our our clients, what we're asking ourselves, okay, where are we going wrong when it comes to the seven-step process? So the thing is that if you don't see your social media or you don't see your content marketing or you don't see your online advertising as being a step in that sales process, chances are you're not going to turn that visibility into sales because we all know of people who have a nice size audience, but by no means are they making the kind of money that they should given the fact that they have people who know about them. So if that's the case for you and you're listening to this, chances are your sales process is broken. And it could be that you're not getting the right kind of visibility that we talked about. We talked about understanding the demographic. Um, The thing is that you can try to sell water to a a fish all day long. Chances (laughs) are you're not going to get a bite, right? But if you try to sell that same water to someone in the desert, you can just be really bad at what you do and make a whole lot of money. And so, you know, thinking about that, you know, thinking about everything we do online when it comes to increasing visibility or attention as a step in a sales process and asking ourselves if chances are we don't know exactly where this particular activity, whether it's um, posting on Facebook or posting on LinkedIn or posting on Twitter falls in line with that seven sales process, we're not going to get the results that I want. And if you don't have a clear understanding of what your step-by-step sales process um, looks like, I I can guess that you are, with some accuracy, not getting the results that you want when it comes to growing your business revenue. So I feel so passionate about making sure that people really get this stuff that it's just been, you know, really helpful to talk um, to your audience about it because I think there's this notion that a lot of people have that if I just get enough people to find out about me, there's something that's going to happen in a black box and something's going to come out of it is going to be sales. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Right now, that's amazing advice. And I really do appreciate it. Uh, everyone, you can find Shola Abadoy on Twitter, VRE Capital Group. You can also find her at ConvertPort.com. That is the company that she has that can help you with the sales process because it is a process and you do need to understand it. You can also find her on LinkedIn. I'm going to have all the links in the show notes. And she is the creator of the CRISP process. I do love that acronym. And it's, uh, I, I like that. It's a, it's a nice, I haven't heard that one before, and that's a good one. So hey. she's, she's going to provide the, the PDF for free. So it'll be in the show notes as well. You guys can go out there, download it. It's absolutely free of charge. I'm pretty sure it's going to make a huge difference in your sales process if you even have a sales process. And if you don't, you should probably consider looking at convertport.com and figuring out what you need to do to actually start converting some of that audience that you're building into actual revenue. Because I think you'll serve them best when you give them something valuable that they actually need. And if they're listening to you and reading your blogs, they probably need the information that you're giving them and a better value package than just a blog post or just a podcast. So definitely make sure to check out Shola online. Been a wonderful interview. Shola, did you have anywhere else you wanted to tell people to find you? No, you did a wonderful job. Thanks for having me on the show. And I just uh, really excited about, uh, getting this message out and i know that when people hear um your podcast um and they really think seriously about 
how to tie in their um, social media strategies or their media buying strategies with their sales process, they're just going to be delighted by the uh, results. So thanks for having me, Vernon. No, no, no. It's been a pleasure, and I really do appreciate it. So some really exciting stuff. What did I tell you? Shola was amazing. It was so much fun having her on. I'm actually going to be having her back on after podcast movement to give us some updates. She's had another aha moment, and there's some exciting stuff going on, and she wants to come on and talk about it. So I'm going to have her back on here probably within maybe the third week in August or something like that to come back on, update us about her aha moment and what she's done. And this is going to be interesting because we're getting to see someone that's on and then a different idea as it's starting. So this is this will be a really interesting like case study into what's going on and in the whole entrepreneurial journey. So I'm really excited about that and that's going on. I want to know what you guys thought about this interview. This was a little different. This was more really about startups and private equity investment and some of the things that you can do to monetize your ideas and it was just interesting interview. I really did enjoy it and I hope that you guys enjoyed it too. I do want to make sure that you guys check out the Audacity workshop that I did with Steve Stewart, talking all about sponsorship. We covered a little bit bit of that in this interview, or at least the funding part of working on your projects and raising that money. Make sure to check it out. It's a really, really informative webinar. Did it this past week, and the link is going to be in the show notes to go directly to the sales page. It's, It's in his premium support area, and maybe by the time you listen to this, it may not still be available, but... There's a lot of the information that will be available in that webinar, and I may be able to make that webinar available to you guys in the Social Strategy Academy. So make sure you go out there and download the sponsorship toolkit. It's free. You just enroll, and then you can download that. You'll get all kinds of updates for everything that I'm doing. And as I add new information that you guys can take advantage of about sponsorship, it's going to go into that toolkit. And that toolkit is actually going to also be part of the sponsorship coaching program that I have, the sponsorship for success coaching that I do where I consult with uh, individual podcasters, bloggers, uh, event coordinators, and people like that that are looking to obtain sponsorship and do some sponsorship marketing and really activate a great sponsor for their efforts and, you know, whether it's a podcast show or something else like that. So definitely look out for that. That full course is coming. That offering will be up on the website pretty soon. It's something that I quite honestly only have done by referral, but the demand has been so great that I'm going to go ahead and launch the full coaching program along with the business and life coaching that I do. So sponsorship coaching is coming soon. So if you are a podcaster and you're looking for podcast sponsorship, definitely check this out. Let me know and we can get some things going as far as working on obtaining sponsorship and funding for your show. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. Keep the emails coming. Vernon at VernonRoss.com. You can find me everywhere online at Ross PR, except for on Facebook. I'm Vern Ross on Facebook or Vernon Ross on Facebook. So you'll find me there, but there's links everywhere on the site, in the show notes for all the places you can locate me. Really did enjoy this episode and I will see you guys in the next episode.